Lord, I thank you that your word is alive and active. And Lord, I thank you that you meet us in your word and you strengthen us in your word. Lord, as we come as your people this morning, we um, come in all different situations, Lord. Some of us have um, faced times of feeling really fearful. Lord, some of us have been faithful and are just looking for um, encouragement and strength again today. Lord, some of us have been serving wholeheartedly and some of us have been distracted. Lord, some of us are um, tired or feeling tempted to quit. Lord, um, our hearts are getting pulled in all different directions. And Lord, some of us are just longing for things to go back to normal. Lord, we're all your people facing a real spiritual battle and one that feels like it's on the increase. And so, Lord, we thank you that your word um, will accomplish its purposes. It won't return void this morning. And so we eagerly ask you to speak to us because we're listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, this morning we're going to be continuing our series on Nehemiah. And you'll remember that in Nehemiah, there's this emphasis on restoring the temple and restoring the people and restoring the walls as we've looked at Ezra and Nehemiah together. And today, while we're going to be talking about a section that focuses on building the wall, I really believe that um, we're going to learn much about how the Lord restores his people to be people of dependency on him, um, even as we're in the process of um, working together towards his kingdom purposes. And so let's look at Nehemiah chapter 4. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What they are building, even a fox climbing up on it, would break down their walls of stones. A prayer. Hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God 
and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, The strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, Before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them, and will kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, Wherever you turn, they will attack us. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were, work, who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And in each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, The work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. So we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, Have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night, so that they can serve us as guards by night and workers by day. Neither I, nor my brothers, nor my men, nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapons, even when he went for water. This is the end of the reading of Nehemiah 4. Have you ever been so tired when you were working on a project that you just felt like you... um you were just, your energy was given out. Well, I want to, with permission, tell you a little story about um, Dane doing a remodeling project a few years back. And he was working on it alone, and I saw a, a board that he had um, installed somewhere. And in pen, written on it, was the word help with an exclamation point. And I asked him about it, and he said, oh, that was my prayer one day because I just was here trying to install one of these boards and didn't have any help, and it was just so hard. Well, soon after that, we were going to do the um, the re-roofing, which meant pulling off the shingles, getting it down to the bare wood, putting the new paper on it, and then um, shingling. And Dane had planned to do that by himself, and so I had the week off, and um, I was going to be his helper. And so a bundle of shingles was um, just about the maximum of what I could lift. 
And um, so I would lift a bundle of shingles while he was up on the roof, put it in a wheelbarrow, take it to where I needed to unload it, realized I could not, I didn't have the upper body strength to lift the bundle of shingles up onto the roof. So I opened each bundle of shingles and two shingles at a time would climb up the ladder, put the shingles up on the roof, back down, and there I went, bundle after bundle, wheelbarrow after wheelbarrow, slashing it up, putting the shingles up there on the roof. Then he would come down, get the shingles, take them back up, nail them in, come get more shingles, nail it in. And um, <laughs> when we were finished with the first side um, of the roof, if anybody would have come along at that time and started heckling us or making any physical threats, we were so tired at that point. It would have been so easy to um, give up. And I don't know, as I think about this little story, I wonder, can you imagine we're in the middle of um, a hot, hot July, just like it's been this one, and um, working, it felt like from early morning to late at night, in the heat, doing this hard, what I felt like was hard physical labor. <clears throat> and this is what our, um, our the people of God were doing here with rebuilding the walls. And... Um, can you imagine how tired they must have been and the weight of what they were carrying with these big stones and trying to rebuild the walls, and yet they're getting heckled. They're getting pressure on all sides. And as it mentions, these different parties that gathered together, these enemies of the people of God, um, they were located to the north, the south, the east, and the west, and they form this unholy alliance because they're angry. They are very angry that this work of God is going forward. Why? Because that land had been, um, they had use of it. While they were just the remnant of the people, the Jewish people that had been there, they had been very complacent, and as all the others had been in exile. And so all those neighbors had gotten used to having full access and um, to that that property, and they didn't. They felt threatened by all of a sudden. There's organization, and Nehemiah has come with yet the third wave of exiles returning to Jerusalem, and so they're angry about God's kingdom plans to take back the ground, and so they start with psychological warfare, and then they um, transition to physical warfare as they mock, and then they threaten to attack. And their goal is to discourage the people, to make them fearful, and make them want to quit the work. They target the low spots. They're looking for the vulnerable areas, the weak areas, the easy access areas. And they also use family and friends. In verse 12, it says the Jews who lived near them, they weren't in the city, they weren't working on the wall, but they came and told us ten times over, so over and over again, it says, wherever you turn, they will attack us. But in the English Standard Version, it says, you must return to us. And so there's thought that these people that weren't active in God's kingdom work, they were family members that were coming and saying, come back. They're, they're threatening to attack. Come back with us. Come back with us. Leave the work. And so you can imagine the pressure when family or friends are starting to um, say, why don't you just quit? And you're so tired anyway, and your strength is giving out. And so the people are being pressured, and they're um, starting to feel discouraged and fearful. 
Well, you know, we face pressure as Christians, and it feels like it's on every side these days. As we're seeking to spread the gospel of Jesus, we're increasingly facing pressure from this culture that we live in of conformity and tolerance. And an example of this happened Thursday night. And I don't know if you saw the news article, but Pastor Dave shared it with me. And before the end of the day on Friday, it seemed like most of the major um, news reports all had pictures of this one San Francisco giant player standing while every other knee was knelt in a moment of, um, it was meant pregame at the um, Dodge Stadium to be an act of unity bowing the knee to the Black Lives Matters movement. And so this one baseball player stood up, and when um, they asked him about it, why he refused to kneel, he said, because I'm a Christian. And then he went on to explain that the Black Lives Matters organization held views on um, family that he couldn't come into agreement with. And so it wasn't that he didn't value um, standing with people who have been oppressed racially, but he felt that his convictions that he could only bow his knee to God Almighty. He wasn't going to bow his knee to any other movement, particularly one that had um, views on family and on human sexuality that he felt like were against his biblical beliefs. Interestingly, a couple of weeks ago, as pastors, we've written a letter, and um, you'll be watch- You'll see that coming out to the congregation this week about um, some concerns that we wanted to make you aware of regarding how do we address the need for racial reconciliation in in our context here in North America. How do we address this as Christians and a caution? Um, that we'll explain more about the Black Lives Matters movement in that um, newsletter. We also have a very strong sense that it's going to be the gospel. It's going to be repentance and confession and um, reconciling work made available through um, Jesus Christ and what he's done for us that is really the answer to the world's woes. With racial, um, with racism being a very, very significant problem and one that we do feel like needs to be addressed. But when a Christian stands up and tries to make a stand, um, all of a sudden they get mocked and I read articles that were very, very, um, disrespectful towards this baseball player and it was just interesting that all these newspapers took this picture of all the others kneeling and the one standing and um, with the headline that he's a Christian. Maybe you've experienced this kind of pressure. How do you speak to people about matters like sanctity of life? Or have you tried to address human sexuality or the definition of biblical marriage or that Jesus is the only way? How many of you have written a post on maybe a social media platform 
and then hesitated to put it out there, something that you believe, because you just can imagine the um, anger and the reaction that people might have. How many of you have looked at um, people that you love that are suddenly getting taken away and getting um, entrapped and really deceived in in their understanding and losing their biblical moorings and um, the heartbreak and how long and how do we how do we help um, strengthen those that are weak and that are straying and how do we present the good news of the gospel and the kingdom of God to um, those that desperately need it when there's such oppression, such attack. How do we keep building and not give up? Well, I believe that this passage of scripture here from Nehemiah 4 just has so much um, helpful information here to help strengthen us and know how that God helps his people to persevere as they pray and they take up arms together. And I'm going to um, nuance that take up arms because it was in the physical here in the Old Testament. Very specifically, they took up swords. But we're going to look at that a little bit more in our context. But first, let's look at the grace that God gives to the people here in Nehemiah. And certainly, there are so many leadership lessons that if I was preaching or teaching a series, if we were on um, leadership lessons, we'd want to point out things like how he confronted the enemy, how he um, dealt with issues openly, how he modeled, how he organized, how he took action. But I want to focus on just two because this is um, lessons that I feel like every single one of us, the Lord would equip us and prepare us to focus on these two things, what we can learn about prayer and his word. And this is how we can continue to persevere and not give up. And so first, prayer. Somebody said to disregard prayer is to discard our primary weapon. When we're in a battle, you do not want to discard your primary weapon. And so what happens each time that they're confronted by the enemy? Nehemiah prays. It's his first response to a threat. And he prays honestly. And he prays publicly so people can pray in agreement. And when he prays, it's showing that he trusts God. He is dependent on God. He takes a couple of actions that are related to this prayer. And it really intentionally connects the people and helps them to be watchful and alert for one another. And he does this by making some reassignments. He puts the workers... Um, he says, okay, there's going to be the builders and there's going to be those that are carrying the stones and I'm going to position you, but I'm going to take half the people off of the building project and I'm going to put them behind to be defenders. Now think about this. You need this wall to be a defense from your enemies and they're trying to build the wall and suddenly you take half of your workers and put them behind the others to be um, defending and ready to guard them. So you've taken half your workforce to stand guard. And then the others, it says that even those that are carrying the stones are in the carrying in one hand and they're holding their weapon in the other. And so you just took 50% of your um, 
your handedness <laughs> and you've got one with arm one with their weapon and so now it's like I'm carrying the shingles with just my left hand and my right hand is carrying a weapon when I'm doing the shingling with Dane all right can you picture this and so um God's ways are higher than our ways and I want you to notice this when they finish the project how how much time it took them to build this wall and notice that this is not the human way of thinking, but it's the God's way to have them positioned in intentional connection of alertness to defend one another and to be watchful for one another. And then they've got officers even behind that to encourage the workers and also to um, discourage um, those that would step away and just want to leave the project to be defectors. And so... Um, prayer. How do we persevere when opposition gets tough? How do we keep going? First thing is prayer. And then the second that the Lord gives us is his word. And I want to point out um, that in verse 14 and verse 20, that Nehemiah prophesies. And what he's doing is he's actually speaking God's word from Deuteronomy 7.21 and from Exodus 14.14. He's drawing people's attention back to God himself using his very own word. And so he says this. He says, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Quoting from Deuteronomy. And then verse 20. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us, quoting from Exodus 14. And so turning the people's eyes back towards God in the time of great oppression, using God's word, his very word. I also want to point out that, and I'm putting this under the section of God's word, that he, now he speaks prophetically, and then he tells them, secondly, Take up arms to defend yourself. And so um, that verse 23, again, I want to say that there's a different translation, the ESV, instead of it saying each had his weapon even when he went for water, it says each kept his weapon at his right hand. And so the idea behind this is that every single person had a sword. Every single person had their um, defense weapon. And so now, how do we keep building and not give up in a New Testament context? What is God's grace for us? And I would say, as, as those that are living after the time of Jesus Christ, he tells us to love our enemies, and he gives us this picture of when the time comes to stand, to stand firm then. When the battle gets fierce, Ephesians 6 talks about putting on the full armor of God, being fully dressed with every piece of armor. And what is in our hand? It's the sword of the Spirit. And so we're to have that sword of the Spirit, which is God's Word. And so notice that every single person was carrying their sword, was carrying their weapon, 
No matter whether they were building, they had it strapped to their side. If they were carrying the stones, they had it, the, the weapon in one hand. The people that were standing behind were all fully armed with weapons. And so everybody is to be connected to God's word. It is so vital. It is so vital that we know God's word. And that sword that's talked about in Ephesians 6, the sword of the spirit, that was a little two-foot-long sword that was intended for hand-to-hand combat. And so when we come up against the enemy, when we come up against a culture that is anti-Christ, what do we, what is our, what is our weapon that God's given us? Our very Bible that reminds us over and over again of our mighty, awesome God who will fight for us. The battle belongs to him. And Ephesians 6 goes on to talk about and pray on the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And keep this in mind. Keep on praying for all the saints. And so praying, again, what are our weapons? How do we keep going and not give up? It's through prayer. And the word. And I want to say something about prayer as it relates to how Nehemiah positioned them. Remember, he positioned them. Half of them were working and the other half were behind them defending. And I want to say that this is where we get the idea and the context for how that we are to set up a prayer shield and have workers that are working in ministry and have a group of people that are praying for that very work. We see that in the Old Testament with um, Moses and Joshua. And we see it um, in the New Testament where um, Paul is saying, you know, keep on praying for all the saints. Pray, pray, pray. We follow the example of Jesus. Jesus relied on prayer. When he was, when the, the forces were pressing in on all sides, When Jesus was facing his soon crucifixion, he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and he sets up his prayer shield. He has the three and he says, keep alert, pray, pray with me. And then Jesus goes to do the work, to lay down his life, to say, Lord, um, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours. And Jesus prays. And he comes back and he calls them again to alertness. Be alert. Stay awake. Pray with me. And so Jesus himself was a man of prayer. And he set up a prayer shield. And then we see Jesus being a man of the word and fighting with the word. Because when he went into the wilderness and was tempted by Satan himself, three times he said, It is written. It is written. He relied on the word of God. This was his weapon. This was what how Jesus fought the spiritual battle with the enemy is through the word of God. He did that in the wilderness. He quoted scripture from the cross. And he entrusted his spirit to the father who won the victory, who raised Jesus from the dead. The enemy, the oppression did not last. The building continued on. And he calls us, church, to carry on this building. To He says, go and make disciples of all nations. Go and make disciples. 
go and preach the gospel. Go and tell the good news of my kingdom and my father and his love. And so to us, how do we, how do we practically apply this? What does this mean to us today from Nehemiah 4? What can we take away? And I hope that you're taking away that when the question comes and when the time gets difficult, and I know that many of you have faced discouragement. Our church was on track, seemed to be, things were, seemed to be clicking on all cylinders. The hand of the Lord was upon us, just like the favor of the Lord was on Nehemiah, and it seemed like things were going so well, and then the opposition comes. Does that mean that the hand of the Lord isn't on us anymore? No! It means that he's teaching us now and restoring us to be a people of God that are dependent on him. And now that this COVID situation is hit, and now that we are even more aware of turbulence in our culture, of violence in the society, he's saying to us, all right now, I'm restoring your identity. I'm strengthening you to be able to um, pray and to fight with the word. And to carry on the work. And so increasingly we just have this sense that as a church that he would have us to focus on discipleship so that every one of us is armed with the word, that we have the word in our heart, that we know what the word says and understand how do we pull these scriptures? How did Nehemiah pull that scripture to remind us of God Almighty? How did he pull that to remind his people when the time gets intense, come together and the Lord will fight for us? He knew the word. And the church, the Lord wants us to know his word. I also believe that a personal application is something that um, I ran across a little write-up about my friend's parents' 60th wedding anniversary. And so all their children and their grandchildren got together to celebrate this anniversary. And what the son-in-law said in his write-up of this is how remarkable it was that rather than focusing on the 60 years of marriage, which is absolutely incredible and beautiful that they have been able to keep their vows unto God for 60 years and the Lord's given them 60 years together but he said what was amazing was the testimony of both the husband and the wife of their deep love for God of their deep conviction that God has used them as um, weak and humble vessels to be able to share the good news and how important it was to them and how they had spent their lives trying to share the gospel with others. And then the um, wife, Mrs. Zaitama, saying, you know, Dad and I have prayed for each of you, each of you children, each of you grandchildren, every single day. And then how that testimony after testimony of the daughters, the sons, the daughter-in-laws, the son-in-laws, the grandchildren got up and said, Thank you. Thank you for modeling what it means to be a person that gets up every morning and opens your Bible and spends time with God. Thank you for showing me how to um, trust God in hard situations. Thank you, Grandma, for praying for us every day. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your notes of encouragement. And so these grandparents, these parents, set up a prayer shield They were praying and they were modeling and they were fighting just like this um, where Nehemiah calls them to fight for their families 
to don't be afraid. Remember the Lord who's great and awesome and fight for your families, fight for your friends, fight for your children, fight for your homes, fight for the world. And remember, and church, the Lord says to you today, remember that our God will fight for us. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the example of Nehemiah and the children of God as they were rebuilding the wall. And Lord, thank you that you encourage us today. You strengthen us, that you'll help us persevere no matter what we face today in our own situations as a church. Lord, as we look at our children and our grandchildren and our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers that we love so much. Lord, help us to persevere. Help us to be people of your word. Help us to be people of prayer, in dependence on you, our faithful God. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.